0: Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Today I'm talking to scientist and my outdoor friend, Kelly Dell. Kelly is a mental performance consultant specializing in the mental side of active living. His passion is building tools and teaching strategies that help people find their fit and fitness and maintain it for life. He's a former university lecturer. He holds a doctorate in population health, a master's in sport, physical activity, and health intervention, and is a professional member of the Canadian Sport Psychology Association. I cannot wait to pick his brain. He also loves playing outside with sports like trail running, mountain biking, uh, and anytime we hang out, it's always on the trail. Please welcome Kelly Dell. Kelly Dell, welcome to the podcast.
1: Awesome. I'm glad to be on this side of the microphone, I guess. Mm. Looking forward to it. Congratulations on on having a show and a very important topic and a fun topic. It can be really, really fun to talk about. So thanks for having me.
0: Well, I want to talk about the fact that you are a podcast host as well. We'll get to that eventually and your work. But you and I, we've been friends for quite a few years now. Well, you are a friend, but you're an outdoor friend. Like anything we do is outside. I'm trying to remember how we, how did we meet? I'm trying to remember where this even started. It was, was it a hiking thing? Was it a...
1: I was thinking about this too, and I'm pretty sure, I, I mean, I could look it up, but uh, I don't have a crack research team at my beck and call right now to go in and, <laughs> you know, fact check everything. But I'm pretty sure I joined one of your hike addict hikes Yeah, yeah. Um, about three years ago. It might've been four, or maybe a couple. And that's how I was sort of introduced to you, but uh, what how we really got to know each other Was uh, I obviously saw and you know followed you on on social media and whatnot, and I thought you'd be a perfect guest on my show to talk about outdoor living, the power of of outdoor exercise, outdoor physical activity, and so I had you and your hike addict colleague Vicky on the show, and then Mm -hmm. I think I think after that we sort of yeah, I mean we we obviously have resonating um, beliefs about the world. And the rest is history. And so we've been connecting. And it's funny that you say we're outdoor friends. I don't know, outside of that interview where we were indoors, we were actually at a library, if you remember.
0: Oh, that we I, I do remember. the yeah. library room.
1: But that was the, thing the only time we've really spent any time indoors. <laughs> Ever <laughs> since then, it'd be like, <laughs> hey, you know, let's go for a hike or, you know, something like that. So, uh, which is pretty interesting. Good observation by you. We're outdoor friends.
0: We're outdoor friends. And Maybe you know something about this on on the mental side of it. When it comes to connecting with humans and you're outdoors and you're hiking and you're side by side instead of, you know, sitting at a coffee shop face to face, isn't there some kind of science behind being side to side and being outside? Like, isn't it more likely that you'll connect with someone that way?
1: I mean, it's probably easier to connect with somebody who you are with outside if you're sharing in an activity that you both enjoy and and you're Mm -hmm. social. I mean, hiking can be a solo activity as well and fulfilling in that way. But the way I look at at hiking and and just being in nature in general, it's like it combines so many positive things. And so the addition of another person is one of those things or a group of people. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a pretty a a social hiker. You know, I've done group hikes and that can be fun, but I'd much prefer either going solo or just going out in the the woods with my daughter or, you know, spending time with just one or two people. But if you think about it, you break it down, you have, what do you have? You have exercise, Mm -hmm. which is by default good for us in a variety of ways, you have the effect of nature, the environment, a positive environment that you're absorbing, and then add a good human or two, and you've got that social connection. And that has an infinite array of positive effects, right? For social support, blowing off steam, all those types of things. So you've got kind of a trifecta, and there might be even more. But if you look at those three things combined, it's one of the better activities, right? And this day and age, I mean, I probably... Preaching to the choir, to use that phrase, but after so much time dealing with public health restrictions and being indoors, and you know, if you recall, at the start of the pandemic, we weren't even allowed to go to what I would say our joint favorite places, Gatineau Park in Ottawa. We weren't even allowed to access (laughs) the park, and so some of these things were taken away. You know, and I think it had an effect on people. I think it was probably one of the first times collectively where we could really feel how much we needed that. At least the people who were regularly active outdoors and really rebooted our values. And how much we value that part of our lives. So it's been a really interesting process. But yeah, to your point, can't underestimate the power of being in nature, being active, moving and adding a good hiking buddy. <laughs> uh, it's a a trifecta of hiking buddy.
0: Yeah, you said the trifecta. It's a trifecta of connection. If we can, if we can label it that.
1: Yeah. You know, connecting with our body movement, connecting with nature, connecting, you know, socially with another human. Yeah, absolutely. Triple threat. Triple threat. Let's just, uh can we trademark that? Triple threat.
0: Yes. I'm writing it. I'm writing it down as we speak. <laughs> I, I definitely want to touch, and the reason I brought you on, uh, not just because you're my outdoor friend, because I wish I could bring on all my outdoor friends, but your background, your research on the mental side of fitness, I think is important for everyone to learn about. So let's talk about your background and how you are, where you are today, and maybe some important highlight lessons that you can share with people about the mental side of fitness and finding the right exercise and the right activity for you.
1: I've said before, I probably said to you on on one of our hikes, you know, it's not something, this is not a place, at least in terms of like expertise that i would have predicted that I fell <laughs> fell into. It's not something I would have guessed I would have fallen into. I I, I started in sports psychology, actually, and helping um, high-performance athletes. That was what my, let's call it my training. But it, along the way, you get exposed to exercise and health psychology, you pick up that kind of as a default. So I've always sort of been interested in psychology, psychology of performance. And then part of that interest, in terms of the mental side of sport, physical activity, health, is because of my own, people say, "Is you know, most people do research. It's really (laughs) self-research. You, It's like a a bit of projection, if you will. I have a history myself and and still do. I live with, it's never something you overcome, but you live with mental illness. As far back as I can remember, I've had the challenge of living with depression and actually anxiety at a little different time in my life. And I, consider myself and proudly a a high functioning, uh, individual with that, but it really has colored how I look at a lot of things in the world, including with my work. If you look at, um, You know, today's, you know, and I do a lot of analysis on this, and whether it's my podcast or my book, but look at fitness culture, it is really um, problematic. It could actually be detrimental for a lot of us in terms of our mental health, the mindset that popular fitness culture can perpetuate, which also contributes to a set of of poor exercise experiences, unenjoyable exercise experiences that demotivate us. But in terms of my history, yeah, I started off, I'm a very sporty kid. I mean, that's why I got interested in sports psychology. I love sports. I got most of my fitness, my exercise, let's just say, through sports so structured organized friends team sports i played baseball was one of my favorites i was sort of what i excelled at but i also um, i also like you know individual sports like golf for example and i still do not exactly your high intensity it's not your hit class but uh, it still is something but i just loved ball sports and i love strategy I loved anything that had a a strategic perspective on it. And this sort of, I guess it boded me well for my future academic career, if you will. But as a kid, that's what I was like. I was really, really active. But I was also, looking back on it, particularly, I was also, you know, in my teens, I struggled with, I'd say, early, early signals of depression, didn't understand it, had no idea. You know, I'm old enough to precede the idea that we're more comfortable. It's normalized to talk about it, but it's like, it's not something you talked about and not even with your friends. I mean, people might notice it, but it's not really part of the daily conversation. So I live with this and I had to kind of navigate it on my own and I took it with me you know, through all my sport endeavors. But what we're where really caught up with me, the challenge of living with mental illness was when the, you know, I mentioned the structures, right? The organization that came with youth sports is when that fell away, like when I, say, graduated out of baseball, retired, or which really came when I went to university and grad school in particular, it became apparent how important those structures were holding me up and carrying me along. When you required a lot more self-motivation, did those uh, mental challenges really weigh me down? But at the same time, it started getting me to reflect on why am I Finding it so hard to exercise and all of that. So this is the lens, at least part of the lens that I bring to my work. But where it really all came together and why I say like I didn't expect to be talking more about exercise and fitness and, and topics like this. I thought, you know, hey, the Olympics are on right now. I thought my journey uh, was to be a high performance sports psychologist to the to the stars, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I was always intrigued by that, but it didn't bring as much meaning to my life as I had thought. And I say that because. I had some other experiences that showed me, yeah, there's opportunity to, you know, not only advocate a little bit for the role of exercise and mental health, but help people see how the fitness culture that, that we're a part of every day is such a big hindrance that we we have this opportunity to change our mindset. And it's not that difficult to approach exercise in a different way that opens up so many doors, not just therapeutically for mental health, but just in terms of our capacity or our design as a human being to do certain things. And that that really came out when I was living in Colorado at the time, working in a fitness center, how I got there is also a weird story, but I ended up working in a fitness center in Colorado and was asked to help as a consultant. I was asked to help uh, apply some of my research, my academic research, which mainly was with athletes, but to this fitness environment and helping the technical jargon is, is help member retention, right? Help gym members stay, stay longer at least. And of course you can imagine that that is good for the bottom line when you have loyal customers, like in any business, but in, in the gym industry, it's really difficult. It's a huge deal. And so I started applying some of my ideas to do with fitness and also at the same time started doing a little extra field research, which is the really fun part. I started asking, you know, questions. I had access to so many people, loyal members. I had access to people who had struggled. I talked to them every day. I talked to personal trainers. I was just immersed in this environment for a while and got this great data. And then I, you know, started to build a an approach and an intervention, if you will, to use a geeky term there um, to help people (laughs) help people strengthen their loyalty. But essentially what it comes down to is strengthen their relationship with exercise, because, you know, the metaphor that really always struck is we bring a different relationship with exercise to a new fitness journey when a new member comes through the door. And one of the things that, you know, really came out of those those experiences, and we're talking this is now 12, 13 years ago, I would say, is uh, how I think we've been asking the wrong question which i think can you know it can deter us from from having really profound experiences with exercise and i do call them profound because i think you and i both would agree that time in the woods when we have that great hike is like it's a little bit of magic and the mindset of fitness culture kind of suggests the grinding culture you've heard all the stuff maybe we'll get into that a little bit more it deters that it, it disrupts that but the questions that we ask at the start of uh like from the fitness injuries perspective being someone who was working in it at the time the questions that we ask at the start of a journey are not necessarily wrong but they're asked in the at the wrong time and so the most popular fitness question of all time is you know what's your goal so a new member who comes into the gym you know it's all on the paperwork all on the intake form say so, okay thank you for coming you know what's your goal let's help you reach your goals I'm not I'm not anti-goal, of course. It's not, it's not about that, but I think that's the wrong question at the start of a journey. And so when I started talking to a, a whole array of people, people who struggle, not just you know, the people who are loyally active, but the people that struggle and you start learning like everyone has goals, everyone starts a journey with goals. It can't possibly be to differentiate or can't be the solution. And so then what should we be asking? Well, if you look at the research just the general research. We've seen for decades how important this idea of intrinsic motivation is. So it's basically the internal feelings, if you will, that you get from an experience, the self-reward that you get from having those experiences rather than chasing a goal or dangling a carrot in front of you. And I think we're good at the carrot dangling. I think society is, particularly the fitness industry is good at that. But the thing that's missing is how do we tease out this intrinsic motivation. What I learned when I was particularly talking to the loyally active people, like the, the, let's call them the lifelong members. They've been there for decades. You know, they love being there. You can't possibly commit to exercise for that long without loving it, some part of it. And so I started to ask what motivates you essentially. And, you know, talked about a variety of things, but some things would come out and it had to do with how certain exercises, types of exercise made them feel. Sure. They had goals too, but it was that but then you start talking about the people who, you know, who struggle or particularly who are no, new to fitness and those experiences are either unknown or they don't have an answer for them. And so I started building questions and tools to help them, you know, at risk of the long tease here is the question I think that, that was missing that I started to ask and had almost immediate effects was instead of asking, well, what's your goal? It's how do you want this to feel? Mm. And once I started asking that question the conversation changed immediately. And of course, I had a lot of self interest in asking this question, because it's a question that I've asked myself. And I've, I've, you know, constantly work on myself with that question, too. And it's of particular importance, given the fact that I consider myself successful in a lot of regards, but not every day on, on trying to get myself, quote unquote, out of bed to go and do something that is physically challenging, under the burden of, of still mental illness. And so the intrinsic motivation that kind of spark that you can potentially create or understand in yourself by answering that question has a lot of use. And without it, I find the barriers to to get active for a lot of people, not just people with mental illness, but the barriers to get active or stay active are too strong. We need something more powerful. We need something more meaningful to keep trying to overcome these barriers. And whether it's mental health for a listener or it's like just the environment in which you live doesn't seem aligned with being active or you don't have many active friends, you don't have much social support. I mean, those things are all important. And if you accumulate them, it's great. But it's still at the heart of it. Having a sense of how you want exercise to feel puts you way more in the driver's seat. And so I had those experiences alongside having my own own challenges which I still endure, I say endure, I still live with, I mean, endurance is maybe not the right word there, but I still live with. And that eventually having those experiences in on this assignment, about 12, 13 years ago, it changed the course of my career in so much that I just became really hungry and learning more and learning from people that could teach me more. And that's what happened is I end up writing a book on it. And the book is almost, uh, I, you know, yeah, it's for everybody, but it's part of it's a big projection on my part too. And what I see and what I've learned from. My experiences as well, but it's obviously heavily embedded in academic data, but field research as well, and stories from this experience and others. Really, stories that I think, you know, hopefully can be a little bit inspiring. But for me, at least, when I revisit them, they're inspiring for me too, and they're motivating for me too. So my path here has been an odd one, but at this at this stage, I can certainly say, like, you know, I live with mental illness. This is a really reason why I'm committed to understanding the effect of exercise on mental health. But it's not something I always try to understand academically, because it's one thing reading about it, which I'm sure we might get into here, is why being outdoors is so important to me. And I think we share that value. But I think in general, to mankind, humankind, to all of us, it can be important or more important if we allow it the opportunity.
0: You were talking about the lifelong members when you were doing your research, and it reminded me. So, we live in the national capital region. Uh, so, Ottawa, Gatineau, we have I would say the best outdoor playground you could possibly imagine in this area. And every time I'm cycling in Gatineau Park, cross country skiing, or even if you're in the Green Belt or wherever you may be, there are always there's something about this area that a the outdoor community is wonderful. Now, most of my friends are outdoor friends here. But B, you see these people who are elderly, I want to use that in like the, the kindest way possible, who are, you know, uh, 65 plus, who are smoking everyone when it comes to like climbing hills or skiing faster. And you can tell that they just love it. They are lifers. They are lifers of the outdoor exercise and they're lifers of outdoor activity. And these people have mastered these skills because they love it and there's something to be said for that and i always inspire to be that 70 year old who is kicking some 25 year old's butt climbing pink lake on skis <laughs> right like that's like <laughs> it, it's funny how like my my goals now have shifted to being able to move my body in such a way that i still enjoy up until you know my 70s and 80s so I would love to talk about that and what you think of these people who who are lifers who, or maybe your observation of these people because I'm sure you see them too, and I'm sure they've kicked your butt.
1: Oh man! Well, first off, I'm closer in age to those lifers <laughs> that you talk about the the <laughs> the, uh, the really um, formidable fit people who carry that into their later age. And you know who knows? Like I'm always curious about those people. I'm like, when did they discover that thing? You know, so like skiing, the person who you see and you can tell that there's a love for what they do. You know, and in reality, they've been doing it for a long time. One of the questions that I love the most is like, you know, when you have you know friends who are a couple, or, or you just met them a couple, and you wonder like, oh, well, how did you meet? Where did you you know fall in love? Sort of thing. Those stories are always pretty intriguing and cute and all the rest. But I have asked similar questions to people who fell in love with fitness, with an exercise, the one thing that is sort of they built their life around. Presumably, the the people you're referring to, where did that start? Where did that spark start? So you see that person, you say, wow, look at them crush those hills. And I wish I could do that at seven. I hope I can do that at 70. You start getting a little comparative there, maybe, and all the rest. Yeah, of
0: course. My com- Sorry, that, my uh, com- competitive spirit comes out in those moments. Well,
1: you're a competitive <laughs> person. That's totally fine. Um, I, I, I would probably shy away. <laughs> I feel great waves of shame, <laughs> Marianne, great waves of shame. No, uh, that's not true at all. But the, <laughs> the But I just become intrigued of, like, what's their story? You know, what's their story? Where did that start? How did that start? Did it happen by accident? My research, my own research says, yeah, it probably did. And they had a, a few moments that were enjoyable enough to, to commit to. Maybe, maybe it was something that their parents introduced them to way back and it sort of became part of their family culture and, it, and they liked it and got better at it. And being good at something does help or at least The process of getting better at something can be enjoyable. So then it's stuck with them. But then sometimes, you know, we have these early childhood experiences too, and we have these positive experiences, and then we drift away from something. And, you know, it could be a decade, 15, 20 years before you rediscover it and go like, why did I ever leave this behind? Why did I leave this behind in childhood? Like whatever, tennis or skiing, as you mentioned, stuff like that. And they rediscover it and you see that this that spark re-emerge and then it comes back into life in a meaningful way. I'm always curious about those experiences because for the most part, when we see someone like, you know, that skier example, who's the lifer, it's easy to say, like, oh, look at how disciplined they are. And we make these assumptions about them and we don't recognize that they're they have a history and they have an evolution to their journey. It's hidden, and that journey has certain Challenges and and they they probably struggled at one point with exercise too like ninety eight point seven percent of the population does at some point and some people never figure it out so it's an interesting uh, observation there and listen I you know working in the gym <laughs> working in the fitness industry yeah you see a lot of people at different stages who are let's call them advanced and experts or whatever you want to say like uh, they're elite whether they're using the gym to feel their athletic endeavors or they have other kind of goals or they're using the gym just as you know the gym is my thing you get all kinds of people and their stories are always fascinating and it's not a story that we think about too much how did they get here where are they how what where are they in the stage of their relationship with with exercise Mm -hmm. and is this going to last is this a a lasting love that's going to take you to 70 years old and skiing Gatineau Park or is this something that is destined to fizzle and and then what happens after that when we enter that Sort of difficult stage. Hi, I'm Steve Yerko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback.
0: You know, did these people start from you know I have friends who were on skis the second they could walk or downhill skis the second they could walk? I was always athletic when I was younger, but that much like you, it was ball sports. it was it was soccer, it was volleyball. I didn't get into the outdoors until I moved to Ottawa, went hiking out west and then kind of started hiking here and then fell in love with it and then fell in love with you know, I trail ran for a while and cross country skied and took up cycling. and it's just kind of this spiral. So I'm definitely a later to life outdoor enthusiast, but now I know it's part of my being, right? It's part of who I am. But what's been really cool knowing you the last few years is talking about the adventures you and your daughter go on. The camping adventures and the outside adventures. You've told me stories about her with frogs, but I would love to know what's it like seeing her grow, taking her camping, taking her outside and you know the types of plants she's drawn to and the animals she's drawn to. What's that evolution been like? Because that just reminded me as you were talking about when did people get introduced to this? I think what you're doing and what you've passed on to your daughter is how a lifelong love of it starts.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for asking about that. It's a meaningful <laughs> thing for me. Well, first off, I'll say I'm under no disillusions that what I end up loving is what she's going to end up loving. But as we both know, your family and your home environment has a huge role in early behavior patterns. And those early behavior patterns have momentum into ad- adulthood. Positive early experiences create memories and positive associations. Positive experiences with exercise, just a general create positive relationship with exercise. We all know it can go the other way too, right? Not to jump too much ahead in the timeline. My daughter's only seven or about to turn seven, but you know, we know that the teenage years, particularly for girls, is really difficult and historically fraught with negative experiences through physical education in schools and whatnot, and their lasting effects that are very difficult to overcome. And it, um, it harms the relationship people have with with either sports or exercise. And And it's something that you got to process later on. And it's super, super unfortunate. But, you know, coming going back to what I was saying, like I'm exposing to her to a lot of things that I enjoy and hoping that she likes them. And I think kids are naturally curious, so it's easy. But, you know, in five, six years' time, she might be interested in other things. So the attitude, if you will, or the approach that I take, and I think a lot of parents do this, you know, and if they don't, I think they should do this, uh, is just exposure. You know, we specialize too early often. There's a lot of research in sports, sports psychology about you know, the role of specialization and elite performance. There's a great book called Range by David Epstein that kind of dives into this. You know, there's the Roger Federer played a lot of different sports and didn't really specialize mm-hmm. till really late. And then you have the Tiger Woodses who at three years old were on TV hitting golf balls and, and really, really showing terrific talent early on. And, and for the most part, it's the pathway that has more sampling opportunities leads to not only just, better performance, let's just say on average, but like you end up having more opportunities to find enjoyable experiences. But if we specialize too early and we say, okay, like my daughter's, she likes gymnastics. She loves gymnastics. One thing with COVID is that she's just mastered her cartwheel. She's just been practicing it. She still does. (laughs) And uh, it's just fun to watch her and she gets better and she loves it, feels proud of herself, but she likes gymnastics. This I've never done gymnastics. So she takes gymnastics and we will support her in her interest and help her find interest, but also exposure to these other things. So being outside is obviously one of them we've done. Um, you know, COVID has allowed us to, or challenged us to try new things and we go geocaching, which is basically hunting for little treasure boxes that people hide in the woods or hide, not just in the woods, but you can hide all over the place urban settings too but we obviously focus on going into the woods and she's old enough now to start exploring biking in the woods you know on uh, rudy rocky kind of terrain and we'll see what the summer brings but the idea is just to expose her and ask her and i have this sort of philosophy if she all of a sudden feels like doing something or she sees something she's inspired by i mean the olympics is on tv right now so she's watching stuff and she's curious about stuff and and you know she's like oh a luge looks really great so let's go take let's go sledding or she, we've seen some <laughs> speed skating we go on the canal you know, the Rideau Canal and go skating and and just follow through with that curiosity as much as we can. And eventually something will become hers. And let's for my sake, selfishly, I'd love it to be hiking and mountain biking and snowshoeing and all of those things. But hey, I mean, she might be a kid, just hates winter. <laughs> she doesn't like <laughs> she doesn't like snowshoeing. So dad, I'm not going. I mean, that's a real possibility. So that's kind of how I, I look at that. And I don't portray myself to be some sort of master level parent, but I also detach myself from any invested outcome. I, I don't you know, care. It's not the right word, but like, it doesn't matter as much to me that she finds something that she can be exceptional at. i matters to me is that she finds something that is hers that she enjoys, whether that's because it allows her to be social, it brings her to the outdoors, or maybe she's a bit competitive that kind of comes out. And then, you know, sport, you played a lot of sports. And that comes out and sort of scratches that itch. I don't really care where it falls, but my commitment is to support her in those interests. But first of all, expose her to as much as we can. And like you say, in Ottawa, aren't we blessed? Look Mm -hmm. at all of the things we can have. Like we're really uh, the perfect city where you live matters. There's no doubt about that. Perfect city for almost anything. You want to, we're watching the Olympics and watching speed skating. I'm like, how many speed skating rinks does Ottawa have? Well, we have a couple. I mean, they're not exactly a common thing, right? (laughs) Like I looked it up and I was like, oh, we have a couple. So if she's talking about going speed skating, like Clara, I asked her like, oh, you know, would you try speed skating one day? Cause she likes to skate. She Mm. goes, oh yeah. And that looks like fun. And like, "Oh, maybe we'll do that. Like I put it in my mental checklist. But like Ottawa has it. If you're living in a big city, you likely have it. It's a little different when you live on the outside, but we are blessed here. We have great outdoor facilities, outdoor settings, and a lot of indoor infrastructure to support sports and other, these other things that, you know gives us the opportunity to have healthy a healthy relationship with exercise. You probably have a lot of outdoor friends, to use steal your phrase there, and uh, what a great city to make outdoor friends is Ottawa.
0: You know, I'm not the scientist of the two of us, but if there's any kind of advice I could pass on in this vein of thought, is to stay curious. Is to stay curious about trying new things, because you never know, no matter what age, what you're going to find. Like, for example... I'm not a good skater. I, you know, I, I skate ski like cross country ski, but I've never been good on skates. And people were telling me about these long blades that attach to the bottom of your cross country ski boots. So I guess they're more stable. They're good on the canal because it gets through ruts easier than hockey skates or figure skates. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. So I rented some from Fresh Air Experience here in Ottawa and tried them out. And a little bit, you know, a little bit hard to get used to. But then once I got the flow of it, I'm like, oh, I love this. I'm probably. Done definitely going to buy some either this season or next one. But I think just being curious and trying new things is a way to keep falling in love over and over again.
1: You, You nailed it. I mean, you can't feel what you never touch. A mentor of mine told me that a long time ago. So creating as many touch points as possible is essential to that. Now, there's a whole psychology to that process. I mean, look at you, brave enough to have that little spark of interest and then going down and going through all those steps and then also uh, getting actually on the ice and something new. And it's a public environment, the canal too, right? You were on the canal, right? The, the canal, canal. Yeah. So, you know, you have to deal with all that. This, this, these are things that take effort and sometimes it's not necessarily easy. Or not but as, as exce- necessary.
0: I understand not as accessible for everyone. I get that too. And
1: not as accessible. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, hey, we're in a winter city. People listening to this might be... <laughs> Arizona. In a a warmer climate and (laughs) skating seems foreign. Yeah, right? Totally foreign. You know, your setting matters. Like I'm in the business, or at least I was really heavily, particularly when I was in the industry, of making high quality recommendations for fitness based on let's call it it sounds really cold and calculated but like the profile a profile the intrinsic profile of, of an individual what do they like how do they want to feel what's kind of their history and with that information i would kind of say like you know what i think this really fits you and obviously recommending snowboarding to someone who lives in florida and you know <laughs> doesn't have any interest in traveling to utah to go skiing is doesn't make any sense. So you have to consider those things like convenience counts, but also the cost, like, like there's cost barriers and all the rest. Like of that's course, just yeah. being realistic. But the principle that you introduce there is being the sampler, you know, test bites. And this mm-hmm. is something that as a kid, I mean, you don't need to be parented into this. I think that's a natural, we have that natural propensity. We We are born with this insatiable curiosity. You know, you just watch any toddler going from one thing to the other and sampling, testing. And often it's trying to figure out what the thing is and then how to make it feel something that is interesting and all the rest. What if we took that same approach to, to exercise as adults, like <laughs> we'd be in pretty good shape. But it, it's either people kind of get embarrassed or, or something about their curiosity. They they say there's a risk, a social risk or a psychological risk in trying something new or, you know, yeah, sure there are some logistical or realistic cost barriers, but we do lose that. I don't think we lose our curiosity. I think that can be dusted off at any time, but I think we lose our confidence in acting on our curiosity. When I, you know, work with someone and have these discussions, it's really important to have a plan if that's not something that's just a strong suit. And it's not that difficult to have a plan to get to that stage. But you do have to consider, you don't want to, I always think it's like, I don't want to recommend a sport that's going to cost you thousands, thousands of dollars and especially startup costs.
0: Cycling, cycling.
1: You know, like, yeah, yeah, cycling, <laughs> cycling. And then that, that bike hangs in the rafters in your garage or in your apartment or whatever. And you're like, then you have shame over that. Cause like, oh, Right. Yeah. I Mine's see. But literally you know right you're, behind
0: me on a trainer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, well, anyway, I think you're, <laughs> which I've
0: barely used you, this, one, this winter,
1: <laughs> but I have, I have you pegged Marianne, because I think it doesn't matter for the most part. I don't think it matters what the thing is. The common thing for you is being outdoors. That mm-hmm. is your, that's your beating heart of your fitness journey. So you can almost pick up anything like long blade skating, as you <laughs> as you just suggested, and find it great. You might not be great at it, but it is a great experience. And if it catches your attention long enough and you work at it, it might become something that goes into the rotation, you know, into the portfolio. Mm. But the foundation of that is being outside. That's the atmosphere. And one thing mm. I will like to not go too much on a tangent on that, but one thing for my research and my interviews with these people way back when and I, I i continue to have these conversations so i'm constantly looking for confirmation and new information too but the one thing that i think is not discussed enough as a sort of an intrinsic motive although it does come out in research and in, in places the academic research is really the power of environments the atmosphere in which we exercise is as important as the activity itself and then for some people the activity is way in the back seat it's in the back of the bus the most important thing is getting outside. I consider myself to be close to one of those people and yet contemporary fitness culture, let's just say, or gym culture or whatever is quite opposite to that. It's well, I shouldn't say quite opposite. So there's some atmospheres in gyms that are really important and they, and they try to create a certain atmosphere. But when we approach exercise, we don't consider the environments in which we live, how important it is, how important it is to find something that resonates with us, not just the activity. And we can go way down that and the psychology of the actual act of being active, but it's the setting in which we do it, how much that can carry us. If you find an activity that you like and you are able to do it in environments you love, you are set. I mean, you, you will crave that, that activity. You'll crave that setting. Like, you know, I do, I crave it, even though I have some barriers to motivation that are kind of like <laughs> I've alluding I've, to, I crave it it's, it's a, you know, godsend in that way. We're always like, okay, we have a goal and we work our way backwards. What's what activities are going to get me there. And we overlook like, well, the sustainability of this behavior, the sustainability of the chase towards a goal is, is really tethered, at least in part by, and and I I would argue it's not discussed enough is the atmosphere and the environment in which you do the thing that, that you're working on the, the the activity itself.
0: If you had any, I don't want to say quick tips or quick facts, No matter you live in in Ottawa, you live in BC, you live in Florida, wherever that may be, do you have any tips for finding that thing outside for people or finding that connection to an activity? Is there anything that you'd be able to list for people and say, oh, try this first? Or what are some quick tips that you would recommend?
1: Quick tips. The quickest tip is really sit with yourself, particularly if you're someone who struggles with motivation to exercise, sit with yourself for a moment. And ask yourself and try to answer the question, how is it that I want this to feel? If I were to restart right today, I'm going to restart my fitness journey. I'm going to make it about something. How is it I want this to feel? And then do a little bit of an audit of of your past. Like how many activities that I've been chasing or trying to do really fit that? Really, really fit that. And that should tell you a little bit where you're at and you have an opportunity to recreate something pretty cool. And then say, okay, if I want to feel... And I know that's a difficult question. This is why I wrote a book <laughs> because I've seen I've seen how people kind of struggle with that question. That's part of the reason why you have these conversations in the first place is to, is to help in that regard. But then when you figure like, okay, well, if you land on a feeling, what are the things that in your environment, like around your community, in and around your community, you know, that are convenient enough for you? Convenience is a matter of preference right like some people need it to be right in the neighborhood some people happy to drive an hour and a half to go on a hike and things like that but convenient enough what are the things in your community that most fit how you want to feel and if you're not even sure getting the words down of like how it is you want to feel go with just a general feeling curiosity use that word what kind of strikes your interest like oh yeah you know, snowboarding always, always seemed interesting and I've never tried it. You're probably onto something or I've never really taken up hiking, but it does check some boxes. Okay. Like where are the opportunities to go hiking? Start with that. And then the next thing in terms of getting kind of started would be who can I involve in this? You know, I'd like to do it with someone, but also as a diversion here, as someone who's new to fitness and they've been watching commercials on TV or this come January, we're pummeled with all these ads about gyms and they decided they, they pulled the trigger and I'm going to go join a gym. I've never joined a gym. Think about the bravery of doing that, for one thing, coming, you know, let's say off the street and going into that kind of environment. Think about the <laughs> all of the steps to, to do that and how difficult that is to do completely on your own. It's why people hire personal trainers and all the rest. But to do it with someone else or at least involve someone else at the start makes it a lot easier. You know, you can fail together, <laughs> if you will. You can You can laugh at the experience together if you want. But also, how great could it be if you have a good shared experience? And so if there's an opportunity to involve someone else, have like a, a buddy. And when I talk about developing these try plans, if you will, That's what I ask. I'm like, who can you bring in? Like there's intimidating environments to go into the first time. Mm. You know, we've all been there. I've been in there. Like I said, bravery is the right word in a lot of ways. And so who can you involve to do that? And that'll just help you either, first off, go and do it, but also process it together and and maybe even have some co-discovery here. But it all comes down to, for me, like just the thought of push the goals aside. I can hazard a guess that an immense amount of people, like a high percentage of people who would be listening to this, have been on several fitness journeys try uh, stop and start stop and start stop and start and they all start with a goal in mind like oh i want to lose the weight or i want to do this or some sort of goal attached to it it's okay to not have a goal it's okay <laughs> to not have a goal
0: yeah
1: goals can be the obstacle not the way and the goals can come later The most important work is finding activities that resonate with you and finding environments that resonate with you. And if you combine the two and you find something that does both, you are off and running. Then you can add the goals. Then you can be that 70-year-old skier who's passing you in Gatineau Park. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) And the more you do it, the more you like it, the more you'll do it, the more consistent you will be. And most likely you will get maybe the results you want if you do have goals, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. And never mind, you reach a goal. I mean, this happens over and over again. It even happens with athletes too. You know, often when we achieve a goal, we put in so much effort and we can, we can survive the grind that we inflict on ourselves for a certain amount of time. But then we achieve the goal, like maybe it's finishing your first marathon. And I'm not discounting that's a huge achievement. It's a lot of work. And maybe that's, that's all you, that's, that's enough to have, (laughs) I get that. But if you don't manage the feel of the experience to make it enjoyable, at least a little bit, then once the goal is achieved, it's likely that activity is going to get shelved. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. I don't judge that. But I think from a sustainability standpoint, there's a lot of other things to consider. And we haven't even talked about how to manage the exercise experience as you're in it, while you're in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even the activities you really like to manage that experience so it can be even either more likable or even likable in the first place. Like there's skills involved there. Again, that we're not taught. We're not taught them in physical education, phys ed in high school. This is stuff we've had to kind of discover by trial and error. So there's a lot of quick tips. That was not a lot of, it's a pretty long series (laughs) of of tips, but but there are skills here. There are skills. There are new questions that are important when you are looking at changing a dissatisfying fitness history into something that could be really fulfilling and have legs, have longevity.
0: If people want to find your book, which is now an audio book, Feel Like It, or maybe your podcast, Happily Ever Active, where can they track those
1: down? Well, you can get the podcast on Spotify. If you have Spotify, any podcast host will will have it. And as for the book, the audiobook, just go to Audible, Amazon hard copy. You can get it on Kindle, just the the typical places.
0: If you want to indulge in Kelly's storytelling research, that's the place to do so. Feel like it now available on audiobook. Kelly Dell, thank you for spending time with me on Let's Take This Outside.
1: Always a pleasure, Marianne, and I look forward to the next time we get together on a trail. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.